What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyrick alongside Kevin Haswell. This is our 12th uh, episode. We're getting up there, almost at the teens now. We've got Connor McCarthy, heralded Orioles fan, uh, joining us. Guys, how you doing? Good. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm excited because Reese Hoskins, we'll talk about him today, on a tear. Uh, eight home runs in his first 15 games, so exciting. We also have one of my good friends, Connor McCarthy, on the show, like Matt said. Uh, sad to be an Orioles fan, but... Yeah, Excited to have you on the show. <laughs> Glad to be back, guys. Yeah, we're actually getting into a Phillies conversation to be able to talk about my Nats a little bit. For once. Uh, a couple times, but we're finally have something to talk about with how bad the Phillies have been. There hasn't really been anything other than, will they get the number one pick? So yeah. we finally got some light in the tunnel here, and we'll get to that in a little bit. First up, though, Justin Verlander. He's the biggest topic on the trade market right now, obviously. Trade deadline's passed, but it's still the auger, auger. August uh, trade deadline, which ends at the end of the month. Anyone that is traded after August is not eligible for the postseason, but anyone traded before uh, September 1st will be eligible for postseason rosters. So Verlander cleared waivers. He's eligible to be traded to any team, um, but has a lot of money on that deal, and he's 34 years old. So, Kevin, we'll start with you. Do you think it'd be worth it for teams to acquire a player of that kind of caliber, but with that kind of contract? Uh, the contract is really bad. I mean, he's 34 years old this year. 9-8 with a 3.96 ERA, uh, a lot worse than last year. Last year, with he was 16-9 and nine with a 3.04. I know Matt's on this train, should have won the Cy Young Award. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're better candidates in the American League than, than Rick Porcello. Um, but that's off point a little bit. He was a workhorse last season, 227 innings. Uh, the one concern I see with Verlander is the amount of innings he's thrown in his career. In his career, he has 2,500 innings. Uh, in just 13 major league seasons, over the last couple of seasons, you've seen the velocity get down there or drop a little bit. Um, definitely become more of a finesse pitcher than he used to be. Where you know you'd see Verlander throw 93, 94 the whole game. Eighth, ninth inning comes around, he was up there at 80, uh, 98, uh, 99 miles per hour. So um, he, he's up there in age. The next two years, you own 28 million next year and 28 million the next season after that. I I think he's still a great pitcher, but for that amount of money, I, I wouldn't make the trade, especially you have to pay the contract and you have to give up the prospects. So I I don't see a fit, but I, I just wouldn't, if I was a GM of a team, I would go after Justin Verlander. But there might be teams out there that are looking, maybe the Astros, um, I, I started pitcher for the playoffs, but I, I wouldn't trade Justin Verlander. I mean, like you said, Kevin, he's a year removed from a Cy Young award winning, uh, he should have won the Cy Young award. But um, it's a significant drop from last year, 3.06 ERA in 2016, 3.96 right now in his whip jumps. He led the league in whip in 2016 with 1.001, and now it's up to 1.308. I still think this guy has a lot of talent, and I think he had, could have a couple more effective years. But I don't know if it's worth it to go out and get a guy this old. And, and I think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series right now, personally. And I think there's a couple other teams that their staffs are so dominant that Verlander... He's a mid-level starter. He's a fourth guy, a fifth guy now, I think, and I just don't see him making that big a difference on the team. Yeah, I agree on some levels. I mean, Verlander's a good pitcher. There's no getting around it. I mean, obviously, he's 3.96 ERA this year, which around a four ERA isn't great. However, he has been pretty good in the second half, especially recently. He's had a stretch of a few dominant starts. But, you know, 34 years old. Last year, almost looks like an anomaly. I mean, before that, he had two, one subpar season where he was injured, another year before that where he had a 4.5 ERA. So he really hasn't been that dominant pitcher since 2012. 
which is, I mean, a five-year break. Obviously, last year is kind of the, the difference there. But other than that, he hasn't really been that go-to pitcher in the playoffs that he was for the Tigers yeah. when they were perennial World Series contenders. So now at this point in his career, he's owed $7 million the rest of the year, another $56 million over the next two years. I mean, over $60 million for a player that's probably at his best right now, a number two starter. I mean, even then, that's that's not exactly what you're looking for. The Astros right now have been connected the most in trade rumors, according to FanRag Sports' John Heyman, uh, but nothing appears imminent, and you can understand why. Apparently, the Tigers are asking for significant prospects and salary relief, so you're obviously not going to be able to get both if you're the Tigers. So a trade might not even happen if the Tigers aren't willing to take a little more of the salary or cut back on the prospects they're looking for. But it definitely seems like they're looking for more prospects. Because, I mean, when you're going to trade the former face of your franchise, an icon, um, someone who looked like a Hall of Famer when he was pitching at his best, you know, you're going to want a significant prospect haul regardless of the cost. So if they're willing to eat some of that money, I think that they'll be able to get a good deal. But do I think the team should trade for him? Probably not. Yeah, I think the Tigers have to eat money here. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it the other way around where, where you're trading prospects and they're paying the full salary. I would want the, the Tigers to eat some salary, get their prospects. But obviously, like you said, the price is too high. Um, they're, they're, tra- they're trying to trade the Verlander that pitched really well last year and not the Verlander of this year. And I, I don't see a team making a trade for him. But, you know, we have a couple of days until September 1st until a team like the Astros who's going to be in the playoffs can have him on his playoff, their playoff roster. So uh, we'll see what happens in the next couple of days, but it should be interesting. I mean, Verlander's just been such a war horse. Like you said, how many innings he's pitched in his career. Uh, at some point, he's just had to come down. And, like, I think 2016 was more of the outlier over the past five years, and I, th- I don't see him repeating it in the next two years. Obviously, he can help a team win that's right on the verge, but it's not worth it giving up the prospects. No, and, I mean, you're going to be getting a guy who's going to be entering his age 35 and 36 seasons over the next two years. And there's a vesting option for – the year after, if he fit places top five in Cy Young, which, so, I mean, which would be good, obviously, if that went through, but that's another $22 million you're potentially on the hook for. So is that so is that the 2020 season, if he finishes top five in the Cy Young, he gets previous right? season before. So, okay, so he's he locked tw- up. So he gets $22 million. Yeah, he's locked up for this season, 2018, 2019, has a vesting option for 2020. So um, it's an interesting deal. I mean, the uh, Tigers actually structured a similar deal with Miguel Cabrera for uh, top something in uh, MVP finishes. But, I mean, you look at the Tigers right now, and they're so bogged down by contracts. Yeah. You understand why they're trying to get that salary relief. And maybe they think, you know, if they don't get a deal in the next week or so, just wait till the offseason, they might have a better market. Because the starting pitching market this offseason isn't really overwhelming. They're, everyone's kind of waiting for that next offseason the year after, um, which also kind of hurts Verlander's stock because people are going to – teams are going to have, you know – they're going to have money off the books and yeah. having to be bogged down with $28 million for Justin Verlander when you're trying to sign a $100 million contact, contract or $400 million if you're going after Bryce Harper, that's going to hinder you. So teams that are looking big picture, that's probably why the Yankees weren't so interested in negotiating because they're looking to make a big splash in that free agency class. Yeah, and, you know, the, the Tigers are – I'm not really happy with what they're doing right now because they have a lot of players on their roster that, that would be great trade candidates like – they made the deal for J.D. Martinez, um, but outside of that... Justin Wilson, too. And Justin Wilson, but there, there's players on that roster that they can trade, like Justin Upton, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Verlander, uh, Miguel Cabrera, even. Like, I, I wouldn't be against it if I was them, if you, you get a nice haul for him. But I, I would, I, we'll talk about the Phillies later, but there's been times 
with the Phillies, you know, three or four years ago where they had the opportunity to trade these big-name guys with big contracts and get them off the books and get prospects in return. And the, and the Phillies waited way too long, and it, it hurt their rebuild. And I think, Ryan Howard. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they waited basically until he was worth nothing, um, not, even, not even with a, a ball club anymore. I, don't know if he, I think he got signed the other day. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, they, wait, they waited way too long, didn't get the right haul, hurt their rebuild. And I think, you know, the Tigers just go on a fire sale. Why not? I, I've said this on past episodes. Why not just get rid of people if you're not in contention? I mean, like the Orioles. I was, see, I was about but to say. <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand why these teams don't trade guys away. They, they, they're, you're either contending or you're not. And if you're not contending, why not rebuild? And at the same time, they did sell a few players. They sold uh, backup catcher Alex Avila. They sold uh, Justin Wilson. And as you mentioned, um, other player, J.D. Martinez. JD Martinez. Um, so, like, you know, they kind of half jumped into this rebuild of two players that maybe were only under control for a season or two. Justin Nothing's got an opt-out coming up that's either after this season. I think it's after this season. It might be after next, but... I mean, but like Avila, he doesn't even get you a good haul. Like, I mean, that's just like a give them to someone that needs them for maybe a prospect. But like, there's players on the team that can get a significant haul. Even even Justin Upton, even if he has an option, you still get him as a, at least a rental. Or if you get him next year, who knows? You get him, you're you're trading for a rental. I mean, I was the Diamondbacks package for uh, JD Martinez. Was that anything significant? Oh no, it was a steal for uh, Arizona. Arizona didn't even have one prospect in the MLB so, top 100. So they're not even doing the rebuild right. They're mm-hmm. trading for for guys. They're trading guys for low price. Well, this, when really, when this really, and now they're trying to get a big package for Justin Verlander, but they already whiffed on JD Martinez. This so. year's trade market was definitely a buyer's market. I mean, you looked at teams like Brad Hand. Um, the Padres held on to him. Uh, Orioles decided not to deal Britain or any of their other relievers. You know, they weren't. A lot of these teams weren't getting the offers they were looking for in past years. Like last year was definitely a seller's market for relievers. You got what you see what the Indians got, or sorry, what the Indians traded for Andrew Miller. You see what um, Cubs traded for Aroldis Chapman. I mean, those were significant hauls this year. Really, there weren't very many overwhelming deals. Obviously, Yu Darvish and But that Sonny deal wasn't even significant. I mean, the Dodgers didn't trade your top three prospects. Exactly. So, I mean, people aren't demanding these premium prices for these premium players. Well, I think they're demanding them, but nobody's willing to buy. Yeah, and then it lowers the price exactly. because no one's willing to pay. Well, like you. So, guys like the Padres, were not, they weren't willing to go down. A.J. Preller said, you know, Brad Hand, all-star this year. We can deal him in the offseason, probably get a better package. Well, and Sonny Gray's kind of the same way. They, they didn't give up a ton for him. Like, yeah, I definitely up. think they should have held on for a little longer. But you never know. I mean, like you all said, I mean, uh, previously I came on the show and I was a fan of the Orioles not selling, but currently right now looking at the team and we're a couple games back for the wild card and it doesn't look like we're going to make any ground soon. I don't want to be the Tigers in three years, like which you all predicted, and I see it happening right now. we got to get rid of these big-name players. We need to start rebuilding, getting prospects in our organization because I think we have one prospect on top 100 and he's a catcher and that position we're actually solid at right now. But uh, we don't want to just, we want to compete for years to come. And right now we're just, we're an average team. We're an average team and we have really talented players that are still in their prime that we can get a lot of prospects for. So we need to start shipping off players and getting as much as we can. And I know it's a buyer's market and everything, but we can still get significant things for players that we're not going to have control over in one, two years. 
Yeah, so I we've kind of digressed away from, from Justin Verlander, but I, I like this topic, so we'll continue. And the one thing that you have to look at is with these rebuilding teams, a lot of the, the teams that are, are contending right now also have a good farm system, so they're looking towards the future and they're competing right now, whereas the Orioles, for year after year, they've had tra- trade candidates, they've been on the brink of contending, and then... They didn't make the deals or, you know, nothing happened. And where'd they end up? The furthest they went was the ALCS two, three years ALCS. ago. ALCS. So. You're right. I definitely see some similarities between Chris Davis and Ryan Howard right now. So that's kind of scaring <laughs> me right now. I really. That <laughs> deal, that deal just in itself boggled my mind. I mean, it didn't look like. With the way the Orioles pitching staff has formulated over the past few years, it has always looked like Chris Tillman and company. And you're just kind of waiting for when Chris Tillman fell off. Yeah. Well, Where were you? <laughs> so that's what's kind of happened now, and that's uh, I mean, Uvaldo's in the... Oh, I mean, they have, two, they have two young pitchers, though, that are showing bright bright spots, yeah. Gosman and, and Bundy. But, mm-hmm. but outside of that, it's kind of very yeah. slim picking. But they didn't even know that those guys were going to be factors a few yeah. years ago. You know, they, right. they kind of lucked out in that regard. You're which, right. I mean, happens with every team. But at the same time. I mean, honestly, and I've watched Bundy this year, and he honestly, with his stuff, he looks more of a third guy. I mean, he doesn't look like he's going to be an ace in staff, from what I've seen. Gosman has more of the nasty stuff that you see in a number one pitcher. He's still a 98. He has a good changeup. It's been his location. It's more mental problems, I think, with Gosman this year. But I don't see him developing into an ace next year. And we have a team that's aging with Adam Jones getting up there in age he's still a great player but in three years i don't know if he's going to still be that player so we can't wait for these young pitchers anymore we have to start selling them and planning for the future yeah before i explode we should probably move on i <laughs> i can't can't stand the orioles just because oh, they that's... didn't sell at the deadline and you're if you've listened to this podcast throughout i've had rant over the Orioles <coughs> mm-hmm. uh front office so well, we'll go ahead and keep the uh, topic on teams that took too long to rebuild, and here they are. So, Phillies, uh, Kevin's own team. Now, they do have a bright spot right now that we can talk about, and that's Reese Hoskins. Now, Hoskins, eight home runs in his first 15 career games. His last one was earlier today. That ties Trevor Story and Carlos Delgado for the most in MLB history for a player in his first 15 games. He was number six on the Phillies' top uh, 30 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline. Kevin, since this is your team, we'll let you go ahead and take the lead on this. What do you like about him? The power. I mean, you see it right off the bat. Uh, eight home runs in 15 games. It's no fluke. 29 home runs in AAA. 91 RBIs um, before being called up two weeks ago. Uh, he doesn't ult- just hit for power either. You know, the 285, 284 batting average in AAA this year and a 966 OPS. Uh, he had over 100 RBIs last year. Uh, was it 37 home runs? Yeah, last year, 29 last year, or sorry, 29 this year, 38 last year. Exactly. You, I mean, you see the power jumps off the books. He, um, you know, slugging percentage is insane. This year, uh, 1161 OPS and 19 RBIs in only 15 games. Uh, I mean, I know, I know Connor's going to talk about it later, how these hot starts don't always turn into great careers. But it, it's definitely exciting because, you know, people have been talking about it over the last couple months with the Phillies rebuild being a little more disappointing than we thought it would be. But bright spots like this coming up early, um, it, it's awesome. And uh, I'm excited to see what Reese Hoskins can do in a Phillies uniform in the future um, because there's guys that have disappointed me in the past, like J.P. Crawford, who used to be a, a top three prospect in the major leagues, has now dropped way down near 60. 
on the top 100 list. So, um, yeah, I, I'm super excited as a Phillies fan to see see this happening, especially with, you know, us being 35 games under 500. Yeah. I mean, this guy's obviously gotten off to a great start, and hats off, or hats off to him. But um, like you said, there's been a lot of fast starts recently in MLB memory. Trevor Story in 2016, seven home runs in his first six games, eight home runs in his first 15. I mean, this year he's hitting 225 with 18 home runs. And same with Aaron Judge, who set the world on fire in the first half this year, hitting over 330 home runs, claimed the Yankees' record, and now he's hitting 186 with seven home runs in the second half. I mean, fast starts happen, and they can continue. I mean, there's been success with Trey Mancini with the Orioles. He had seven home runs in his first 12 games, and now he's hitting 285 this year with 22 home runs and leads the team in RBIs, I believe. I mean, and Cody Bellinger's been great this season, too. I mean, there's plenty of guys that have great futures, but you can't always – it's such a small sample size, and the MLB season's so long that you can't just make an, adju- an assumption that this guy's going to be great. Now, his minor league numbers are awesome, which is always a cool sign to see, but I just want to see this guy play a little bit more before I say he's a star or anything or he's a future star. Yeah, following the Phillies over the last couple of years, he's been a guy I've, I've kind of followed through the minor leagues, and he's kind of shot up the prospect board. Earlier on in his career, you know, he was in the 20s, slowly worked his way up with the production at AA and AAA, and then this year, you know, they're out of it, so they said, 29 home runs, why don't we bring him up to the major leagues and see what he can do, um, especially with Tommy Joseph being a trade candidate. Um, but this guy has evolved. He hasn't been like a guy from the beginning that everyone thought was going to be this terrific power hitter, and you know what? Now he is, and they're giving him a chance, and he's taking advantage of it, and it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's taken a page out of Cody Bellinger's book. He's playing both first base and outfield, um, which is, I mean, for any young player, versatility is everything. So the fact that he's able to play multiple positions, bounce around where they need him, that's huge for the team. But I think the thing that's most impressed me has actually been his patience at the plate. He has 11 strikeouts uh, in his first 15 games, but also 10 walks, which is just astounding because almost every young player, even if they're a player that's pretty well known for taking pitches and drawing walks in the minor leagues, you know, making that adjustment to the majors is not easy. Not and easy. you're going to be getting that triple digits past you um, late in games, and you're going to rack up a few more strikeouts than you probably would in the minor leagues, and you probably would later in your career if you're a good enough player. But, I mean, it's clear that Hoskins is adjusting well. He's able to, you know, maintain his approach, keep taking pitches, and he's getting on base. I mean, his on-base percentage is over 400. That's ridiculous, I mean, considering he's only hitting 283. So... That just show, goes to show how he's taking his pitches and really working counts. And I think while the power is definitely the thing that stood out to everybody, I think that you can't ignore that play, uh, approach either. I think that's awesome that you said that because a batting eye can really show how how good a player is when he first gets to the MLB because power numbers come sometimes shoot up when players get to the MLB because pitchers are throwing harder and more consistently in the strike zone. So. I mean, if a guy has a good batting average when he first comes to the league, that's just going to get better usually. And that's something that players can work on. And already to have that head start on other people, other rookies, it's a really great sign for them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome as a Phillies fan to see it. But, again, we're 15 games into his career. We can't buy into him too much. Um, definitely, you know, another guy that comes to mind when, when you think about hot starts is, is Michael Franco. You know, he came up, major leagues. He had hit a bunch of home runs his rookie year. And, you know, this year he's hitting 225 with, you know, he's driving in some runs because he's hitting the four hole and you, you drive in runs when you're hitting the four hole. But the 225 average, you know, no consistency. And it's concerning because he was one of their centerpieces of their franchise and disappointing. But um, I'm excited to see what he can do. But, you know, they say in the major leagues, the 
they get film on you. Like Aaron Judge, for instance, they learned to throw a slider low and away. Dude can't hit it, so that's all they do now is throw him low and away. And it's working. You know, the film will get out on Reese Hoskins. It'll slow down. It'll happen, but exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's something that Phillies fans really just haven't been able to get excited about a lot. I mean, obviously, Aaron Nolas had a great season, and you've had a few bright spots over the past few years. Um, Jeremy Hellickson was actually one of my favorite players on the Phillies for a while. But um, overall, there hasn't been a whole lot for Phillies fans to really, you know, enjoy watching another team. Hellickson's another example of a guy they should have traded last year. Was pitching terrific. Price they made the price way too high, and then this year they traded him to the Orioles for basically nothing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not a fan of sitting on these trades. Where I want to get back into the rebuild, but don't sit on guys. Trade them when you, when their value is the highest. I just want to get that across. I mean, hindsight 2020. But hindsight is 2020. But who would have thought a guy who had a five ERA with the Diamondbacks would come over the Phillies? And have like a three four ERA. You trade him, right? You trade him before he has time to regress. And they did. They regressed. He had like a four point five ERA this year, and they traded him to the Orioles. I mean, another good thing that Reese Hoskins being a bright spot for the Phillies organization. I mean, it's going to help when trade talks come up when Machado's an unrestricted free agent, Mike Trout, players like that. The Phillies might want to go after because they have so much money, and he sees a player with potential and everything, and Herrera and other pieces. Uh, that's a spot they might want to go. If they want to win now, they see that there's a team there, that they already have a foundation and everything. So that could definitely help in trade talks. Yeah, you saw that with, you know, you saw that with like John Lester. When the Cubs were, were rebuilding. You look at that farm system. You see some bright spots. He signs the $200 million deal. They build around him. And look at the Cubs now, World Series champions. Mm-hmm. So. And Philly's a big market too. So yep. it's you're going to be in the spotlight. I mean, I kind of think of it as the L.A. of the East Coast in terms of publicity yep. because um, West Coast doesn't get as much coverage as East, but um, Philly isn't the same as New York. So it, it's kind of like about a step down, but not too much about where L.A. is national landscape-wise. So, I mean, that's that's a huge market. And what you power know? hitter wouldn't want to hit it? Oh, I know. I, I mean, mean, it's a bandbox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, saw, I mean, you saw Ryan Howard hit 56 home runs in that, in that ballpark. That was... Insane. So, I mean, I I think that the farm system is very is is very cool to see, but they're going to need to sign like like Connor said, they're going to need to save the money and, and go out and get free agents. But mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I think they're two or three years away from from really making a push at the postseason. But and you know that might actually work out for them because the Nats window could close with Harper. You know, I don't think it will personally. They have a lot of young talent that people don't really talk about, but. You know, yeah. after Harper leaves, Scherzer could decline. Strasburg could turn into nothing, take an opt out. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. Daniel Murphy hits free agency the same year Harper does. And the a Mets, whole lot the of, Mets already peaked. I mean, yeah, the Mets yeah. are on a downward. The, Bra- the Braves are on their way back up. Mm-hmm. So it could just be the Braves and the Phillies in two years. I mean, who knows? You never know. But it's you're baseball. also looking at um, Marlins are playing 500 baseball right now. I mean, they're a game under 500. So they could be too. But you, know, way, you never know with the new ownership too. Exactly. Come in and change the Derek Jeter might just. just Flip everything, and we have John Carlos Stanton playing in pinstripes next year. But um, I'm sure you'd love that. Oh, terrible! I, <laughs> I mean, to get him out of the NL East, I'd be okay with it. But no. Um, anyway, the Phillies—they're in a good spot if they're aiming to contend in like two, three years, because the NL East could be completely different. Right now, it's the Nats and everybody else. Yeah. I think it's a 13-game lead. 13 and a half. 13-and-a-half game lead in the NL East for the Nats. I mean, it's a no contest, even with the Marlins playing around 500. So. 
they might not be that kind of team in a few years, and I think the Phillies will be able to take advantage, especially if guys like Hoskins, uh, Herrera can turn it around, Franco, a few other guys. You know, they can build around those players, sign a few big money free agents because they have the money. I mean, they're shedding payroll right now. They do they have any major con- contracts left? I mean, it's all down to those non guaranteed contracts and arbitration players. So, I mean, they're in a good spot for competing down the uh, stretch. Yep. Yep, you're definitely right. I mean, four years ago, Houston and the Cubs weren't really thought of as contenders, and now both of them are rather elite teams. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Speaking of two teams that weren't in the conversation last year, um, we're going to jump to that NL wildcard game, which right now could include an NL Central team. I know right now I think the Brewers are about three games out of that um, conversation, but the way it looks right now, it's going to be Diamondbacks and Rockies, which both are the top two hitters, parks, in baseball. So we're going to be seeing some home runs in that game. But one team's got to come out on top. Connor, we'll go ahead and go with you first. What are you thinking in terms of, is it the starting pitching that's going to define this, or is it going to be that that stadium? Well, I would say the one thing that jumped out on me is Arizona is fourth in the MLB and ERA right now. And that's a huge factor when they play in a great hitter's park. I know Colorado does too. So neither home field advantage is really going to play to their strengths. But I think that pitching is really going to set Arizona apart. And right now, I think I'm taking them over Colorado. Colorado obviously has some great talent with Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman. But Arizona also can counter with their talent in the field with A.J. Pollock, Paul Goldschmidt, J.D. Martinez. I just think the Diamondbacks are a better overall team right now. Yeah, the Rockies have slid recently. I think they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games or something along those lines. And they've been a streaky team all season. It seems like they're either winning six in a row or losing six in a row. But um, it's definitely, you know, in a one-game se- one game series, it's going to come down to who has the better starting pitcher. Um, and it looks like the uh, Diamondbacks have a choice. I mean, they've got Zach Greinke, Robbie Ray, and Zach Godley, all of whom are having fantastic seasons. I mean, Godley's obviously not going to get the nod over Greinke and Ray, but... You know, Ray's strikeout numbers are ridiculous. Cranky has the resume. You can't go wrong either way. And the best that Colorado is going to be able to throw out there is Kyle Freeland or John Gray. And while Freeland's ERA is actually over one run better at Coors Field than away, which goes to show that he knows how to pitch there and he can be an effective starter, the name doesn't really jump off the page. And it clearly kind of gives that shift of momentum over to Arizona just coming into the game. I mean, we're not even talking about the lineups at this point, but... That pitching staff is way better over in Arizona, and even with Coors Field skewing the numbers a little bit, I would easily take Arizona as well. I mean, you've got an MVP candidate in Paul Goldschmidt versus an MVP candidate in Charlie Blackman. Both have good supporting cast, lots of home runs involved on both sides. So I feel like right now, even though the Rockies score more runs, a lot of that's probably because of Coors. It's probably a push at that point when you look at the offense. It just kind of depends on who has a better day. But when you look at the starting rotations, that's really what stands out to me. Now, the bullpens, however, is a different story. I think Colorado definitely has a deeper bullpen than Arizona. They've kind of struggled. Fernando Rodney's closer there, and they, you know, he had a rough start to the season then kind of cooled down, but now it's been a little streaky. So I think Colorado does hold the edge in the later innings, and if, you know, Freeland can kind of show up and give him a good start, you know, there's definitely stand a chance. But at the same time, going into the game, it's got to be Arizona. Yeah, I mean, in baseball, one game, Anyone can win, you know. If you if you put you know one of the worst teams in baseball, let's say the Phillies, you put them up against the Rockies in a one game playoff, anything can happen. Not saying the Phillies would win more than fifty percent of the time, but it's baseball. Anything can happen, and it's really interesting when you look into the numbers because both teams are very good at home, but both teams are below five hundred on the road. So that half game lead the Diamondbacks have right now 
uh, is huge. If they if they can play at home, they have a significantly better chance of winning. Um, but I agree with both of you. I think the Diamondbacks got the edge. Um, I would, I personally would put Zach Greinke out there, the experience um, over the young younger Robbie Ray. Uh, but like you said, Robbie Ray, 151 strikeouts, 118 innings. Uh, he's been terrific this year. And if you go, both lineups are terrific. Um, I would take the edge with the Rockies lineup over the Diamondbacks, even though both have some firepower. And then, yeah, you go into that bullpen. But the, the one problem I have with the Rockies bullpen is they've, they've relied way too much on Greg, Greg Holland this year. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm, he's leading the league. He's leading Major League Baseball in saves. He's 35, yeah. Thir- 35 saves. Um, two blown saves? Uh, I think he actually has a few lately. I mean, his ERA has jumped up to 377, so he's actually kind of struggled lately. He did go pretty pretty deep in the season without blowing a save, but yep. now has recently not done so well. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's like the problem with the Nationals and pitching guys too much with Dusty Baker. It's You can't use these closers as much as you think you can use them. One inning, they add up. You can't pitch back-to-back days, and I it concerns me going into the playoffs with Greg Holland because if he's not pitching well going in, he might not pitch well in the playoffs. And, you know, the playoffs is all about who's hot at the right time, and the Rockies have been sliding lately. Like, they're 4-6 and six in their last 10 games, and the Diamondbacks are also 4-6 and six in the last 10. But, you know, anything can happen. It's a one-game playoff. But I, I take the I take the Diamondbacks. I think I gotta agree with Kevin. I think if the Diamondbacks do get to the scenario that they have to pitch Grinky, the combination of his experience he's been around and his the season he's having, I mean, just having a veteran presence in a game like that, what it's going to take all. I mean, a couple or er, in 2012, the Orioles threw out Joe Saunders, who was the most experienced man on our rotation, even though we had some other budding talent. Chris Tillman could have pitched that game, stuff like that, but he just was able to take control of the game and he didn't look nervous out there. He looked like he had been there before. And he pitched a great game, got it over to a bullpen. So I definitely think that Greenkey will be a great factor for the or the Diamondbacks in this game. Yeah, he had the down season last year. Um, that was definitely disappointing after the Diamondbacks make that surprise splash uh, over the offseason and sign him out of nowhere, seeming clutching him from the Dodgers division rival at the time. It seemed like a great deal. And it seemed like the, the Diamondbacks were really going to you know, be contenders after that. I mean, that was a huge move. They had A.J. Pollock poised for a huge year until he tears his ACL. Goldschmidt had a good year, but um, did get hurt down the stretch. So now you see them with their when they're all healthy. It's it's crazy. Jake Lamb, who I've been saying is underrated for a long time, is finally getting the recognition he deserves. He's an All Star this year. Um, great RBI numbers. I think he's up to ninety five now. He's got twenty seven homers. He's hitting two sixty, which I think two sixty is around the you know bar for good versus bad versus bad. Yeah. You know so. Obviously, batting average isn't the be-all stat, but, I mean, for a point of reference, it's definitely good. But 300 is better than 250. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> yes. But the going back to my point about um, Colorado's bullpen, yes, they've relied on Holland a lot. I mean, he has their closer. I mean, you look at what the Cubs are doing with Wade Davis, it's the same way. Um, and he's been pretty effective. I mean, obviously, lately hasn't been hot, but at the same time, He's been one of the best closers in baseball this well, year. My, you've got to look at, they just acquired Pat Dishek, which I thought was a great move. Yeah. I actually really wanted the Nats to acquire him. And he's been pretty solid for them, too. And Chris Rusin, who has a 2.50 ERA in 46 games for them this year, he saved a game for them and has decent strikeout numbers, almost as many Ks as Holland himself does. So um, they do have some guys there. I mean, Jake McGee was supposed to be that main setup guy. He's been decent. Not great. Adam Adovino, who actually I was high on a few years ago, has actually really fallen off. He has a 5-5 ERA this year. But, I mean, overall, they've got, you know, a 3-4-man deep bullpen, and that's really what you need in the playoffs because you're not going to go to those 
six, seven guys very often. Obviously, you're going to try and have as many relievers as possible to have to patch together games you need to if a starter doesn't go deep. But, you know, it's they've got a good bullpen, and if they can get a couple of innings out of their starter, five, six innings, I actually wouldn't be too worried in terms of what their bullpen would give up. I think, like you said, you have to have that lead to get to the bullpen, though. And I don't think with Zach Greinke on the mound, they'll get more than one or two runs. And if he pitches eight innings, he kind of takes out of the bullpen of Arizona. And I think that could be an important factor. Or, I mean, you could just not pitch your best closer like the Orioles did two years ago. <laughs> so you never know. I mean, bullpen is a huge factor, obviously. It's a huge factor until it's not a factor. Until it's not a factor, exactly. exactly. And, like, the reason I'm, I'm so down about pitching Holland so much is also because he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Um, I, I'm not a fan of pitching a guy that long, um, at this point in his career, just, you know, they're, they're up in the wild card. Like we're going to talk about this later. The national league wild card, the closest team is three and a half games back. So, I mean, you have some cushion, mm-hmm. you don't have to use Holland in every save situation. You can go later in the bullpen. You know, you talk about other guys like Misha, very capable of closing out games. Doesn't, I mean, he throws, doesn't throw hard, but he's capable of closing out those games. So. I'm not a fan of that. Another thing I wanted to touch on was which team between those two teams is better set up to make a run after that wild card game. Um, Because I think the Diamondbacks are are definitely better set up to make a run after that. Because, I mean, even if they pitch Granke, they got Robbie Ray, Godley, to start the next series. So I I think the Diamondbacks get past this game. You know, anything can happen. But they get past this game, they, they can make a deep run in the playoffs. I mean, I definitely agree that the Diamondbacks are way more set up than Colorado to have success in the playoffs. That rotation speaks for itself. And I, I don't think they'll get too deep. I mean, I think they maybe put up a fight with the next team they come in contact maybe with. The Dodgers. But, <laughs> yeah, if they play the Dodgers, I don't see them. I mean, maybe they sneak but a game. But it's too hot. It is too hot, but there's a certain point where an elite team can just find your flaws. And, but at the same time, you know, a playoff series between division rivals is actually – um, you know, poised for an upset more than any other series because this is a team that knows you. They've seen your pitchers better more than anybody else. They know, you know, how your manager strategizes. They don't even need to watch the film because they've pitched against, they've hit against Clayton Kershaw, they've hit against um, Kensamayana, whoever they're going to throw out there. So I wouldn't necessarily discard either of these teams because I think that, you know, they still got to go to Colorado, they still got to go to Arizona. Like, Kevin said they have great record, home records. Um, they could seal a few games there, and I think they could make it interesting. I'm obviously, like Kevin said, this is baseball, and in the playoffs anything can happen. A lucky bounce uh, off the third base bag, a blown call, I mean, that can decide a series. So while the Dodgers are far and away the better team, we've seen teams like the 2001 Mariners who lost in the first round of the playoffs after setting the major league record for 116 wins in a season. I mean, you know, it happens. So, Or maybe it was the ALCS, one of the two. But either way, they didn't make the World Series. And, you know, anything but a World Series title is going to be a disappointment for this Dodgers team. And if any team's poised to do it, I think it would be a division rival. Speaking of the Dodgers, the game last night, I was, it was crazy. With Rich, Rich, Hill. Hill, Rich Hill going to the 10th inning with a no-hitter, which shouldn't have been a no-hitter. He got, he got screwed by an error in the, in the ninth inning. Um, and then, you know, Chase Elliott made the great catch, preserved the perfect game in the eighth, and then, you know, Josh Harrison gets a fastball out of the middle and takes it to the left field. But I've never seen – the closest thing I've seen to that was Cliff Lee back with the, with the Phillies um, five or six years ago. He, he pitched 10 innings a game. But I've never seen someone take a, a no-hitter in the 10th inning and lose the game. He lost 
Perfect game at one point. He lost the no hitter. He lost the shutout, and he lost the win. Mm-hmm. All in the tenth inning. I don't think anyone's ever heard of that. No, I mean that was the first ever uh, no hitter loss in a walk off home run in the history, which I mean, is just crazy. crazy to think about. It did um, remind it, so me. So that's never happened in the ninth inning. No, and it happens in the tenth the first time. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's that's baseball. That's baseball. Yeah. I mean, that, like, yep. yeah, exactly. I mean, it was actually funny that it was against the Pirates because Max Scherzer's uh, first no hitter was against the Pirates as well, but he had a. Uh, Perfect game going for the final batter, and Jose Tabata uh, leaned into a pitch and it hit him in the elbow guard, and that cost him the perfect game. Yeah, yeah, it was the worst thing ever. I went to the game after that, and his first at bat, Tabata started the next day, and everybody in the park was just booing him the whole game, and it was it was awesome. Um, but like that reminded me of it because it was the Pirates. I mean, the same team they you know escaped being perfectoed and. You know, just how somehow got out of there with a win. I mean, it was at PNC Park, so the fans actually, like, they were treated to a great game, and then they get to have the fireworks and go home happy at the end. I mean, that, that's pretty great for Pittsburgh fans. I mean, I didn't remind you of, I don't remember the pitcher's name, but Jim Joyce blowing the call in the ninth inning on the perfect Calarago. game. Colorado. I mean, that's another one. I don't know which one's worse, actually, like, losing the perfect game, but on the call or actually having your team not score a run for you and make an error in the ninth inning to blow your perfect game and just losing the game, I just can't think. I have a worse feeling, honestly. Well, it was really awkward because the Dodgers, you know, they're almost at 90 wins and we're still in August. So when it, it's not the end of the world they lost that game, but Rich Hill came off. He went right to the locker room. Like, he didn't give anyone a high five. Everyone was trying to high five him. Like, great game, man. Like, you went 10 innings. Yeah. 10 no hit innings, almost. Um, <laughs> but it, it's crazy. I just. I, I was shocked when I saw they sent him out for the 10th inning, but I guess he only had 95 pitches. Yeah, he was actually pitching a super efficient start. I mean, it was kudos to him. He's, that's the second time that the um, Dodgers have taken a no-hitter into the 6th inning in the past, like, two weeks, I think, because Kenta Maeda did the yep. same thing yeah. before giving up the single. That might have been a week ago. So, um, Dodgers, Dodgers pitching staff that's was just an embarrassment of riches. That's well, and, and Rich Hill did this last year. I don't know if you guys remember, but he, he had a perfect game in the seventh inning, but he got the classic Rich Hill blister and had to come out of the game. So, it seemed like, you know, he was going to revenge, get the revenge this year and get it, but... His offense couldn't provide. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it, for, for an offense that scores a ton of, ton of runs, it couldn't, you know, they had like nine hits, couldn't score a run. Just, yeah. I mean, bad for chill. Like Matt said, I mean, that's just shows how deep the Dodgers pitching staff is. It's ridiculous. I mean, Clayton Kershaw's on that team. Maeda. I mean, I'm surprised it's not Darvish, a perfect. Yeah, you Darvish. Wood. I'm not surprised. I'm surprised they're not making a perfect game every other week. It's ridiculous. Brandon McCarthy, yeah. like they, Dungeon Ryu, yeah. I'm sure. I'm Julio sure. Yeah, a, you start getting a triple A with yeah. these guys. <laughs> you're know, like, wow. Everybody, every one of them is better than the Orioles starters. It's just. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's that's a team that's just built top to bottom. I'm. Dave Roberts is a great manager, and he's managing the team as well as he could have. So, I mean, he's only in his second season, which is just incredible. And if he doesn't win a National League Manager of the Year, I'm going to be shocked. Because even though that he has the team with all that talent, you know, being able to harness that talent and go over 100 wins, we're projected to go 115 at the moment, I think, is their current uh, rate that they're at. But uh, that's just insane. I mean, kudos to him because uh, I have a lot of respect for – uh, guys like him who, you know, have to come into the fire immediately are already handed the keys to this playoff caliber team. I mean, when Don Mattingly left, that was kind of like leaving a gaping hole. You know, who's gonna, the Dodgers are coming off of a bunch of, Lots of pressure. losses in the first round. I mean, last year was the first time that the Dodgers won a playoff series in, with that current core. I mean, Kershaw had never been on a team that won a playoff series. That's crazy. So, you know, Roberts was finally taken to the next level. 
give it to the Cubs, you know, make it a good series, and then. I must have heard you talk about a Nationals playoff loss. I didn't mention the Nationals, did I? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, who the Dodgers beat? You know, it was a good series. Actually, I think I was the least disappointed about this the last series with the Dodgers than I was about um, either the Cardinals or the. Giants. With the Cardinals in 2012, it was the most heartbreaking loss ever. We were a strike away from advancing, and Drew Storen went all Drew Storen on us and blew a save, and it was nightmares. Um, and that was the first time I rooted for a team that was in the playoffs. I mean, I, I grew up a Nationals fan, so I'd never seen a team in the playoffs. I was so excited, you know. We had won 98 games, the best record in baseball, and couldn't even escape the first round. That hurt. And then you have the 2014 series against the Giants where we just flat out couldn't hit. There was literally Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. Everyone will say Anthony Rendon had a great series, but it was actually he had four hits in the 18-inning game the Nats played. When uh, Outside of that. Yeah, yeah, outside of that, he had one other hit. So it was really only Bryce Harper beating up Hunter Strickland. He was like four for nine in the yeah. 18-inning game. So it was, I mean, it was a good game, but it wasn't one. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So outside of that game, Anthony Rendon didn't hit. Denard Spam was awful. Jason Worth was awful. Brian Zimmerman wasn't hitting. It was just a nightmare all around. But this series, it was tough played all the way through. It got to game five. I mean, it took Kershaw coming out of the bullpen to beat us. I can't argue with that. I mean, obviously, the injuries kind of hurt us with Wilson Ramos and Steven Strasburg not able to play. I think that could have been a big enough push that, you know, maybe we could have squeaked out one extra win. But... Our last out was Clayton Kershaw versus Wilmer Defoe. And, you know, that's not exactly who <laughs> we want. Clayton Kershaw yeah. wins. Nine out of ten times. Exactly. So, I mean, like, obviously it stung to lose the playoff series, and I had a lot of hopes for the team, even with the Cubs, like, getting all the attention. Um, but, you know, I thought we were in a good position to come back next year. I thought Dusty Baker was a much better manager than Matt Williams was uh, because we've been doing this odd pattern where we make the playoffs even year, miss it in the odd year, fire our manager. And that's kind of been like the. the I think I, I still I think, I think I want to make this year. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Baker, Dusty Baker doesn't have a contract past the season, okay. so if he doesn't get, win get, a playoff series, rid of him. Yeah, it, well, he's he's taxing the arms right now. Their 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 rotation should be healthy at this point, but it's embarrassing that these guys can't finish. So. Yeah, well, we'll see what's happening. I mean, obviously, Strasburg comes back, and then you know, Scherzer goes Joe like, Ross is out for the year, but Edwin Jackson's pitching great, so I can't. I uh, hate too much. I think they've been doing all right. And Tanner Roark's actually been showing some improvement over the second half, so I'm actually kind of happy with what he's been doing. But anyway, basically Diamondbacks are winning that playoff game. They're going to be going against the Dodgers, and um, I think they're going to give them a good series. Yep, yep, should be good. All right, final topic for you guys today. Um, staying off the team uh, boat here, we're kind of looking at the league as a whole, and we're comparing the NL and the AL. Biggest thing right now Everybody's talking about is that AL playoff race and how it's just been musical chairs for that second wild card spot. I mean, right now, I think the Twins, who are actually sellers, are currently holding that second spot, which is just crazy to think about. Um, but right now, the uh, NL is full of a couple of top heavy teams the Nats, the Cubs, and the Dodgers, obviously, three great teams. Uh, Cubs, maybe not so much at the levels, and that's the Dodgers, but still, you know, they're the world, reigning world champions. So you got those two teams, and there's kind of everybody else. I mean, wild card, it's pretty much said and done with them two, with the two teams we just talked about. But now it looks like maybe the Brewers weekend, but that's about it. Cardinals pretty much on the outside looking in. Other than that, it's all rebuilding teams. The AL, however, has got basically half the league mixed into that playoff spot. You've got teams like the Angels, the Orioles, the Rays, the Royals, uh, the Twins, all in the mix, that second wild card spot. you got the Mariners, even the Rangers are somewhere in there. Um, and 
you know, that's that's a whole story in itself. So, Kevin, what do you think? Is Which is worse for baseball? Is it the widespread parity in the American League, or is it the fact that so many teams are tanking? You know? It's, it's got to be the widespread parity. I mean, it's it's pitiful. When you when you look at the American League, the, the Rays are three games below five hundred and only three and a half games out of the last wild card spot. That the, you should not be in contention if you're below 500. It just it shouldn't happen. You know, the Twins went out and got Jaime Garcia before the trade deadline, then traded him seven days later because they went one and six in that seven day span. So, I mean, it's just you look at the Angels like we talked about earlier. Angels shouldn't be in contention, but you know Mike Trout loves to carry the team. And then you look at the Royals, a team that's two years past their prime. Mariners. They're good for half a season every year. Like it, the, there's just a bunch of mediocre teams in the in the American League. Even the Rangers are two games out, and they traded Hugh Darvish. They sold at the deadline. And then you look at the National League. These like we talked about earlier, either of these teams could go to the World Series. The the Diamondbacks. Honestly, any of the top five teams. Ex- exactly. And then you look at the American League, and the only team I really see making a run in the playoffs is the Yankees. And that's and that's a yeah, that's I mean, I believe game. in the Indians as well. No, 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 I'm saying the American League wildcard race. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's the only team I see. And, you know, it's, it makes me scratch my head. So, I mean, it depends on what you're saying, what's better for baseball and everything. I mean, is it way better to, for fans to be watching teams that are competitive and competing against each other? And, like, you never know which one's going to be in. And each team has its set strengths. And, like you guys said, it's always about the team that's hot. Let's say one of these American League teams just gets hot and just starts blowing away the competition. That's something great for baseball, I think. And I know the National League has the better contenders and everything, and they have a clear top. But I don't really want to watch the Phillies lose 120 games. I mean, like, that's just – I just don't think that's great for baseball to have teams that are so clearly far away from each other when it comes to organizational standards. I just so – you'd, you'd rather see a team below 500 get in the playoffs than if see – If that team is competing – Than see two teams that are double digits over – 500 get in the playoffs? Well, if those teams are playing more compet- like more competitive games against teams that are more evenly matched than teams that are clearly just blowing away bad well, teams. put it this way. I'll take the Yankees over any of these teams into the second wild card spot, the wild card game, first of all. Second of all, even if they beat the Yankees, I think any of these teams get swept in the next round. Just flat out. Like the, These teams have no talent. The Twins have some young talent, yes. Angels, they have one good hitter. He doesn't scare me. <laughs> like this American, none of these teams scare me except the Yankees. I, I don't understand how this is good for baseball. Like teams like the Orioles, they think they're contenders. They go out and they trade for Jeremy Hellickson when they are clear sellers because they look at the games back. They're three and a half games oh, no, back. Don't but there's one, two, three, four, five. Tim Beckham. Tim Beckham. Tim Beckham. Tim Beckham is a stud. He's great. <laughs> Tim Frazier's was... Right, well, there's, including the Orioles, there are seven teams going for that last wild card spot within three and a half games. It's literally roll the dice to get that last spot. And Blue Jays are five games away. I mean, they could make a run. Yeah, they could. You, all right, so you're saying... All right, so like you said, division rivalry games are, can be some of the best games. You think Boston is a competitor right now, right? They're kind of off the wall. What's a Toronto, Tampa Bay, Orioles, somebody faces the wild card game, they somehow get to the next round, they play Boston, one of those teams. Why can't they upset? That could change the whole atmosphere of the playoffs. The They're Orioles have, are, we, we, are leading the division series against the Red Sox this year. I mean, you just don't know with division rivalries. There's teams like this. And who doesn't want to see Mike Trout in the playoffs? 
I'd love to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. And he's given this opportunity. He's carrying the team right now, and I'd love to see him get a shot. Who would you see the, say the ace of the Orioles staff is? Oh, there's no ace. Get out of here. I mean, you guys are looking, you need to look big picture, all right? Look, at the, look at the teams right now, okay? With all these fringe contenders in the American League, they're buyers. They're, they're going in on this season, right? So they're getting rentals. They're getting two-year guys, okay? Yeah, they're stacking up their payroll right now on all these short-term contracts that are going to expire in two years, and then what they're going to be left with. Just the players that they had before who are now older, you know, injuries happen. You look at the Angels, all these teams the Angels that, are the perfect example of that. They have all these big contracts, that, and these guys are getting old, and they're just not good anymore. And, and meanwhile, all these, NL teams, all these NL teams who are selling all of their players, okay? So American League, they got all these, you know, uh, fringe players, the guys that will be around for two seasons. Meanwhile, the NL is stacking up on prospects. You know, they're the ones who are selling all those, like, you know, the one, two good guys that they have on their team. They're restocking their farm systems. In three, four years, we could see an insanely stacked National League. If, if farm system, if what we have projected right now for the uh, teams that are rebuilding in the NL, you know, pan out, we're going to have a couple of bad teams, and there's going to be some powerhouses. And, I mean, it's not just going to be those three teams at the top. Obviously, with rebuilds, there's going to be cycles within the league. But the AL, they're all going to be having these expensive contracts with no farm system to back it up. And players that are, you know, just, past their prime, they're not going to be like, they're going to be trying to beat the Baltimore okay. Orioles. Oh, you just explained. Okay, okay. Right. Like, all right, all right, that's great. All right, all right, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. So, you're right. You, we get, There's a lot of American League teams. We get these two-year players that are just plug-and-play pretty much. They're going to do their thing. They're not going to be exceptional or anything. And that can, that can work. Okay, so two years ago. And then two years, years behind every two other years team ago, that's rebuilding. Two years ago, when the order, or 2014, when the Orioles went to the ALCS. A lot of people were picking them to win the World Series that year once they got that far. We had a bunch of plug-in players on two-year deals. majority of that team is not here anymore, except for the stars like Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Chris Davis. Chris Davis actually wasn't even in that playoffs. He was suspended. But <laughs> the Adderall, that's yeah. A, the Adderall, yeah. But it's just that can be a winning strategy sometimes. It's whoever's hot, once again. So, so it's not always I know the National League has these powerhouses and everything, but – just like the Royals, they almost won the World Series that year. They were a wild card team and went straight through everybody until they got to the World Series. But then you look at what their team was next year—a team that was built off of being bad, built their prospects up. They got that playoff experience and then turned in the best team in baseball in the American League over that season. So and then we're talking about what's what it all. What's better for baseball? And it's obviously better for baseball to watch better teams in the playoffs. I mean, that might just be my opinion, but I would rather watch. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies, both contenders, play in a wild card game than see the Angels play the Yankees. I mean, you look at the NBA. Okay, how many people actually watched the first round of the NBA playoffs? Because it's over. It's seven. I mean, seven. the number one team's going to destroy the number eight team. Yeah. Who's going to watch the four and five seeds in the the East? No, because they're going to lose to the one seed. So I just I got a question though. Right, so you're saying so a lot of the division leaders in the American League are competitors and everything. So. What's more interesting to watch? We, there's one wild card game, and then if that's one series that gets wiped out, all right, that's great. That's one series that gets wiped out. At least the regular season is more interesting for a little bit. At least people are watching the regular season See, more. And the National League, we know do, they're great teams. But the regular that's season, you know, series. any team wins one game. It's 162 games. There's going to so be good things that happen. In the happen. American League, you just, like, flip a coin to see who's going to get in. 
That's that's how it's been. Like I feel you like I wake up twelve every, spot to yeah, I, I wake up every morning and a new team's in the second spot and none of the teams excite me. But isn't that more interesting to watch than just knowing these three teams are gonna make it? I mean, isn't that I more mean, interesting the, to watch? I mean, yes, a pennant happens? a pennant race is fun, but like, you know, if the Cubs if the Brewers start to play a little bit better, I mean they're actually playing pretty well lately. You know, they catch fire, Cubs slip a little bit, that's gonna be a fun division race to watch because you've got reigning NL champs versus surprise team that's actually playing ten games over five hundred. I wanted to make a point about that. If you put the Brewers in the American League, they probably go into the trade deadline and make some stupid trades that are short sighted and ruin their rebuild. But you know what the Brewers did? They stuck to their guns, they held their young players, and you know, they might not make the playoffs this year, but they're preserving a better franchise for seasons to come. And, you know, you put them in the American League and they probably, you know, dish out all these prospects to get good players and then they fall short in the wild card game or something, right? So I I just don't understand. Like, the, the reason I'm so angry on the subject is, is my dad's a huge Orioles fan and and it's it's tough to see them lose. And they just – they had the opportunity to turn their franchise around and they just – didn't. And they, to make it even worse, they didn't just stay put. They bought at the deadline. Which is the last thing they should have done. It's just the wild the AL wild card is a joke. I'm sorry. I mean it's they're just not good teams. I mean obviously I would love to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. Yes. But I'd love to see Mike Trout go deep in the playoffs. And I'm sorry but that's not gonna happen. This is not with the so way the landscape about- of the league has worked. Alright. You're talking about what's better for MLB and everything, and I, I once again the National League is so. Besides the Brewers, who's the next? What's the next team that's in contention? Cardinals. Cardinals. How far back are they? Four and a half. Four and a half, half games back, and I don't see them making a run right now. But I just hey the rally cap. The rally cap. Rally caps. That's right. All right. So what? I mean. Don't count them. Out. So do you? So the wild card teams are Diamondbacks, Colorado right now too. I mean, I don't really see them getting past the second round, like we said earlier. I don't really see them getting past that. The American League wild card, yes, the teams are weaker. They're not probably going to make it. I just think that it's way more interesting to watch these teams battle it out than it is just to see, oh, these two wild card teams are going to face and then they're going to lose and they're going to lose the next round. I just, I just think it's more interesting as fans to watch that. I personally like rooting for underdogs. That's just me. I always root for the team that's not like either the most talked about or you know just isn't as good a team. So. Just from my standpoint, you know, I'm trying to root for this underdog team to win. Like, if the Angels make the playoffs and skirt through that first round and they're playing the Astros in the first round, I'm going to root for the Angels. Mm-hmm. And they're just not going to have a shot of winning, you know? And it's like, it takes away that, like, you know, upset factor. I think the Diamondbacks and the Rockies both have a legitimate shot of upsetting the Dodgers in the first round. I don't think a single wildcard team other than the Yankees could upset the Astros. But yes or no, do you think Mike Trout getting into the playoffs is good for baseball? I would say yes, it's good for baseball, but at the same time, like that's it. You know, he's just see, getting slaughtered. See, see, it's great. It's great for the game of baseball for Mike Trout to get in, but like I said, we need like a seven-sided coin because he's got like a one in seven chance to get in the playoffs. And then, do you think baseball fans are going to be excited that the Rays get in the playoffs? That the the Mariners, the Royals could be interesting though because they do have some guys that have gone deep in the playoffs and you know have the experience and stuff. But and this is their last year together. And the Rangers, you know, there's players on that team that have gone deep. Playoffs. But you can keep going. It's just I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But Trout would not even have a chance to in the National League right now. He wouldn't have a chance. I don't believe the I mean, Angels. He has his own team he's on. If he's on a rebuilding well, squad, I'm saying if the Angels were in the National League. 
league right now. The Angels in the National League, yeah, they wouldn't have they a would chance, have but shot. they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. I mean, you got to be a good team. Mike that's why, that's the why the NBA is messed up, because over half the teams in the NBA make playoffs. I mean, like, that's just a dumb so system. So you're going more the individual now. I'm going you're, more you're getting into Mike right, Trout right, right, in the playoffs. Right. Well, I'm going with well, we all got to watch the greatest player. Freddie Freeman should get the playoffs down. <laughs> Put the Braves in. <laughs> I just want to watch the best player in the world get to get a chance at the playoffs. That's uh, all I'm saying. I'm saying what's best for the MLB overall, and I did go individual with uh, that team. I enjoyed the discussion on that topic. I did too. I did too. <laughs> I think we, need, we need to move on. All right. Well, that's actually going to wrap us up for today. Thank you all so much for joining us again. I'm Matt Wire. This is Kevin Haswell. Connor McCarthy, you are listening to the Visitor's Bullpen. Check us out every week. We are live on Periscope Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Thank you all for joining us, and have a good one. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating uh, below. Uh, I appreciate it, and thank you for watching. Good to be here, guys.